Hello, this is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, August 2nd of 2023. I'm your host, Jackie Sedley, with KGNU and Report for America. Coming up on today's program, we'll speak with an environmental attorney about her new poetry book and how those two career paths intertwine. Then we'll go to Grand Teton and Yellowstone to hear about building preservation led by high school students across the country. Chris Moore's Make Them Hear You is on summer recess. He'll be back in September. And herbalist Brigitte Mars will have regular Wednesday features, naturally. A BBC News update and commentary from Jim Hightower at the bottom of the hour. Coming up on today's public affair at 8.35, we hear from the executive director of Garfield County Public Library District about his book on censorship in America. Then at 9 a.m., Shannon Young speaks with two people involved with preserving and restoring Colorado's Chicano community murals. Then at 9.30, Joanne Cole will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first, a look at the headlines with KGNU's Jack Armstrong. The Environmental Protection Agency has ordered Colorado air quality regulators to revise an air quality permit for Suncor Energy's refinery in Commerce City. This decision, viewed as somewhat of an environmental win by local advocates, requires state air regulators to revisit portions of the permit concerning dust and carbon monoxide emissions. The agency approved a long-overdue permit renewal for one of the refinery's plants this time last year. Environmental groups responded with petitions objecting to the move. This decision isn't a complete environmental win, though. The EPA rejected one petition from advocacy group 350 Colorado, which called for the agency to reject the permit outright and even potentially cease Suncor Energy operations. An affordable housing project slated for Boulder seniors has been terminated by its contractors, who cite rising costs. The housing units were slated for a lot off 33rd Street at the site of a now-demolished patio furniture store. According to Boulder Reporting Lab, the project was part of a larger deal, which includes the development of new properties in the Mapleton Hill neighborhood. The developers have since donated the land to the city of Boulder, additionally paying $1.7 million into the city's affordable housing fund. The housing project sits in a limbo, with the lot now under city control. Colorado's new move-over law will take effect next week. It requires drivers to move over a lane when passing a disabled or stationary vehicle. KGNU's Emily Sosilo has more. Starting on August 7th, the move-over law will require drivers to slow down or move over in response to disabled cars with flashing hazard lights. 2022 marked the deadliest year for emergency responders on the roadway in Colorado. Seven Department of Transportation, or CDOT, trucks have been hit on roadways so far this year, and a Colorado State Trooper was injured after two vehicles crashed into his patrol car. The penalty for disobeying the expanded move-over law is a Class 2 misdemeanor traffic offense, possibly an additional fine of $150 and a three-point license violation. For KGNU, I'm Emily Cecilo. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment has granted $4 million for in-school nursing just ahead of the start of the new school year. KGNU's Zach Thompson has more. The state health department expanded its Colorado School Nurse Grant Program in response to an increasing need for school nurses. The program was initially expanded by the state senate back in 2022. This extension provides 
funding and support for school districts to recruit and retain qualified school nurses for all grade levels, K-12. through The program also dedicates funding towards training nurses to fill the growing need. Steve Holloway of the CDPHE says the program is particularly crucial in under-resourced rural areas, as school nurse responsibilities there, quote, extend beyond traditional roles to encompass student mental health and social services. 18 school districts across the state will share the $4 million grant. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson. Aurora City Council has approved the first draft of a proposal which would bring back a police officer reserve program. The program utilizes unpaid volunteer police officers and comes as the Aurora Police Department struggles to fill 68 officer vacancies. Eleven officers left the Aurora Police Department in May. Candidates for the program would undergo a six-week state certification and training period and would report to the Aurora Police Chief in the same way a fully staffed officer would. The second reading of the proposal will take place August 14th. Colorado's Republican Party sued the state on Monday in an effort to prevent unaffiliated voters from participating in Republican primary elections. KGNU's Grace Gabriel reports. Passed by voters in 2016, Proposition 108 requires major political parties to allow the participation of unaffiliated voters in primary elections. The lawsuit claims Prop 108 is unconstitutional. Unaffiliated voters are the state's largest voting bloc, and this move to strike down Proposition 108 could jeopardize their ability to vote in any party primaries. Republicans are divided on the party's ongoing attempt to change how Colorado GOP candidates are nominated. Many believe the unaffiliated vote is important. Democratic Secretary of State Jenna Griswold released a written statement assuring voters that she believes the lawsuit has no merit and will work to protect their constitutional right. For KGNU, I'm Grace Gabriel. Kaiser Permanente workers across the state are joining a multi-state informational picketing to protest what they say is a critical lack of employees in their facilities. Workers have said that the lack of assistance causes patient neglect, mistaken diagnoses, and extended wait times. Unions represent more than 75% of Kaiser employees, according to an email sent from Kaiser Permanente to Colorado Public Radio. Union contracts are ongoing and are set to expire in September, meaning that serious amendments to union intake need to be negotiated between Kaiser and their workers' union. According to union representatives, during recent negotiations, the healthcare giant has agreed to increase staffing by 10,000 employees by the end of 2023. According to a press release, the workers would like to see a concrete proposal on how to reach that goal. One-third of Kaiser-employed Coloradans have taken to informational picketing last weekend, with more protesting to continue until the union has reached consensus. For today's weather in Boulder, we have a high of 85 degrees, the coolest it's been in almost two weeks. The beginning of the day will be partly cloudy, with a 50% chance of showers after 2 p.m. Tonight, there will be a low of 60 degrees, with a 50% chance of thunderstorms. In Denver, we have a high of 86 degrees, the coolest Denver has seen in a while as well. It'll be mostly sunny with a 50% chance of showers after 2 p.m. For tonight, we'll see a 40% chance of thunderstorms with a low of 62 degrees. For KGNU, I'm Jack Armstrong. You 
are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Jackie Sedley. Aaron Agee is a Boulder-based enforcement attorney and environmental collaboration and conflict resolution specialist at the Environmental Protection Agency. But that's not all. She's also an author, a poet to be specific. Her book, Let Us Be So Familiar, is a collection of poetry about the environment in all its madness and glory. She'll be talking about her book at the Boulder Bookstore tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m., and she's also here with me today to talk about it. Hi, Erin. Hi, Jackie. Really glad to be here. Thank you for coming in this morning. So just to start off, paint us a, a brief picture of your journey as both an environmental lawyer and a poet. Which came first? I think the poetry came first. In fact, I know it, I know it did because I loved writing as a girl. I always wanted to be an author growing up, and law really wasn't on my radar. I loved writing stories. I loved writing poems. I have some great poems from my angsty teenage years uh, that I won't be sharing tomorrow night, but I, I know I loved it, and it was a passion of mine, and law came in later. It came in when I realized I really wanted to shift my focus uh, to environmental advocacy, and being in the legal profession seemed like a powerful way to do that. I was specifically interested in conflict resolution in that environmental realm, and I knew that getting a law degree would, would help me in that field. So would you say that the intention behind both of your professions is pretty similar then? I think there are definitely similarities. I think with the poetry, I really do it to connect with myself and to connect with others. And the legal work uh, is really for that environmental advocacy piece, but I do think that they connect with one another. I think that in the situation that we're on or in right now in the world, we cannot address the challenges that we have unless we're also connected with who we truly are and who we truly can be with one another. So I think there's definitely an overlap there. Say more about how your poetry is, is, is for you as well. What does that kind of mean to you? What does that provide for you? I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling when they express something just right, whether it's in a meeting that they're having and they, they feel like they said something that really came across or a song that they've created or a painting or any other kind of artistic endeavor and that fulfillment that happens internally when you feel that you've been able to bring what's inside of you out into the world in an accurate way, uh, that kind of fulfillment is, is what uh, drives me to write poetry. So now on to your new poetry book, Let Us Be So Familiar. Is there a general theme or inspiration that you would say describes the collection as a whole? This collection <clears throat> has poems that span about 18 years. So there are poems from as early as 2005 in this collection and as recent as 2023. And there's really a variety in here. Some of the poems touch upon deep ecology and some of the poems touch upon family relationships. Some of the poems touch upon grief and loss. Um, so the thread is really how do we connect with ourselves and one another through this variety of experience. And yeah, I think that's the, the main theme. I would also say kind of a theme surrounding a lot of conversations in the world about the climate and the environment is fear 
right? Fear for our future as a species, the future of the planet. As you touched on a little bit, your book includes this theme as well, to a degree. Do you think that fear is necessary motivation for change or the fight against climate change? That is a good question, Jackie. So it's it's usually not the place that I think of wanting to come from, right? It doesn't seem to be a, a good motivator for us because we, if we're afraid, we might be uh, lashing out in aggression, right? Um, but I do think there's a kernel there, which is that the fear that can come when we realize we're going to die, I think brings in a really healthy perspective of our own mortality and not just our individual mortality but our mortality as a species if you will so think about a time in your life when you've asked yourself the question gosh if I only had one more month to live what would I do Mm. and that kind of moment can be really powerful because we imagine into what have I been putting off what are those things that I wish I could do but I'm saying I can't right now so that kind of, if, if that's when we're, when we're talking about, when we talk about fear, I do think that that can kind of quicken us and inspire us to take the kind of action that perhaps we'd like to be taking, but we tell ourselves we shouldn't. Is there any action or emotion that you hope your poetry in this book evokes in readers? I want readers to feel seen, to feel uplifted, to feel that they can bring their full selves to their life. So one of the themes in this book is just the messiness of our lives <laughs> the and the beauty in that, that it's not so black and white, that it's not so this or that, um, that we can experience loss and we can experience the beauty within that loss. We can have all of that together. So... In that way, I hope that people can feel welcome and invited to live into the fullness of who they are and what their lives present. I wanted to go back a bit to our conversation about the fear piece as well. How do you maintain hope or optimism or inspiration when so much of your day-to-day, it seems, focuses on a prioritization of these issues that are very daunting and can be very, very debilitating? I think that part of that picture for me is getting in touch with why we're working on these issues in the first place. And to me, that is about the beautiful planet that we live on and the beautiful humanity that, that lives here. And so when that, when I get in touch with that as the motivator, it's, it's, it might sound a little funny, but it's not too hard for me to feel optimistic. So I'm focusing on the people that I love and the planet that I love. Um, and that's the driver instead of, gosh, this is, this is really hard and, and I don't know if we're ever going to pull out of it. My last question here in our, our last minute or so. One of your poems, uh, After Finishing Bright Dead Things, is inspired by Ada Limon. Who or what else were your greatest inspirations for this book? Yes, Ada Limon is an incredible poet, and she was absolutely an inspiration uh, for this book. And I would also have to say Mary Oliver is a very powerful poet in in my work, especially in the in the ecological 
poetry realm. Um, Naira Wahid is another amazing poet that I've pulled a lot of inspiration from. And those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. There are others that are credited throughout the book, but I'll, I'll leave that for a different day. All right. You can leave that for the readers who pick up your book. So I've been speaking with Aaron Agee, attorney and author of Let Us Be So Familiar, a collection of poetry about the complexities of the environment we live in. She'll be at the Boulder Bookstore tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. to speak about and sign her new book. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jackie. Next up this morning, high school student. Next up this morning, high school students from across the country are looking to the Mountain West to learn how to help preserve buildings from the past for future generations. A group of kids from New York City visited Grand Teton and Yellowstone, and they asked questions like, "What is important in our history?" For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach has more. Nine students are gathered in a sliver of shade under the Pink House, one of Grand Teton's historic buildings. It's a home constructed in 1938 by one of the first settlers in the area. The students are trading stories from their trip in Yellowstone, and for some, it was their first time camping. When I mean I was so close to that bison, I think I felt it rub on the tent next to me. That's Adam Sela. It's his 18th birthday, and he says getting out of New York City has been the best way to spend it getting to like see actual real grass instead of turf and like smell fresh air instead of like pollution air like get to see like clear skies and like really hear like the silence of the birds and the animals just to really the students are on a three-week field trip to wyoming's national parks learning everything from historic masonry to log preservation and wood window repair and they're asking questions about what's important to preserve and who gets to decide Here's Sela and other students speaking with Grand Teton Superintendent Chip Jenkins. And I feel like the start of the National Park Service was to preserve our parks for the people. And it's where you put the emphasis on the last part of that sentence, right, which was for the people. This visit is a way to apply what they've been learning at the Stephen T. Mather Building Arts and Craftsmanship High School, which helps serve minority students in New York. Named after the first director of the National Park Service and partly funded by the parks, the school's goal is to funnel students into fields like historic preservation. This can mean restoring old homesteads, just like the Pink House. Since the modernization and industrialization of construction, you have an entirely different field of people that have to learn the old ways that we used to construct buildings in order to preserve them. So we specialize in that kind of lost and dying art of traditional trades. That's Catherine Watson, who leads programs at the Historic Preservation Training Center at Grand Teton. She says it's their first year hosting this specific program and part of a greater initiative to diversify who works in and has access to national parks. Opening up and realizing that we need to be more reflective of, you know, the American population. One student, Ella Lungi, says spending time with park staff has opened her eyes to new opportunities. That whole experience made me truly like think about my future and like made me realize there were so many paths that I could take and not just be so focused on one. Ora Paduto says she's leaving the parks feeling inspired, pointing to a project the group worked on in Yellowstone. 
one of my favorite things that I've experienced is being able to see the subtle changes that we've created, like at the Norris Ranger Museum. Like, it wasn't like we did something grand, but we definitely did something that's going to help out in the future and make that building last longer. So that's something. Peduto and the others say they're excited to apply what they've learned back home in New York and maybe someday as members of the Park Service themselves. Hannah Mersbach, K-12 News. All right, it's time now for Naturally with herbalist Brigitte Mars. Good morning. Welcome to Naturally. So I have written a book called Addiction Free Naturally. And, you know, a lot of us think, oh, I don't have any addictions, but hmm, try going two weeks without sugar and then tell me about it. And I really feel that sugar is at the roots of a lot of addiction. And very often people go from one addiction to the other. You know, they quit drinking, but then they eat a lot of sugar or they, you know, quit smoking and then they overeat. So rather than going from one addiction to another, we really need to look at that sugar and blood sugar has a lot to do with addictive hooks. So keep in mind that Tobacco is often cured with sugar, that the effects of things like caffeine and cocaine, they elevate our blood sugar. Even smoking cannabis, of which I uh, sometimes do, uh, elevates your blood sugar and then it dips down and that's when the munchies happen. Yes, I could eat the couch, but don't do that. All right. So I think it's really a good idea to have other ways to reward ourselves. You know, that idea like... You deserve a break today. Like, well, don't let it be something that's bad for you. What are other ways that you can reward yourself? Could you read a magazine? Could you read a novel? I really do think handcrafts are a great way to reward yourself, calm your nervous system, and keep your focus. And then you get to make something beautiful that you get to keep or give away to a loved one. We also know that we're more likely to be addicted to things if our diet is too acid, meaning if we eat sugar and we eat a lot of grains and drink alcohol, it makes us want it more. So get more alkaline by using more green leafy vegetables, eating more fresh fruits. And it could also be a great thing in your journal to do some introspection and write down, why do I want to give this up? we might need to go back into therapy because as we give up substances, the things that caused us to get into the addictive loop may be resurfacing. So what do we need to do to deal with the hidden trauma? And you know, trauma can also be a teacher. So, all right, just realize it. There's some supplements that could really help us to break free of addictions. And I think of GTF chromium. The GTF stands for glucose tolerance factor, which will help stabilize blood sugar. I also think of the B vitamin complex, which can help us to have energy and also maintain a state of calm. A fish oil supplement would be another way to help your brain feel calm. And if you don't eat fish, you can take like an omega that's a vegan source from some type of algae. And another way is aromatherapy. So let's say you're craving coffee, but you know it's not good for you. You might try smelling something. I'm going to suggest cardamom or cinnamon. It's a way of 
taking deep inhalations that goes right to your brain. If it is alcohol that you're craving, you might want to inhale essential oil of juniper. If it's cigarettes that you're doing, try inhaling the essential oil of black pepper. You can get free of this. Don't let addictions rule your life. You can do it. Check out my book, Addiction Free Naturally. There's so many ideas in there. I thank you for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Jackie Sedley. Special thanks to Jack Armstrong, Grace Gabriel, Emily Sosilo, Zach Thompson, Porjai Jean Kitt, Alexis Kenyon, Hannah Mersbach, and Brigitte Mars for their work on today's program. A reminder that if you'd like to share a comment with KGNU, call us at 303-447-9911. We play the messages back on Tuesdays during the Morning Magazine. Stay tuned for the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. Then, a special APA on a book about censorship in the United States. That's coming up after the news headlines from the BBC.